It's good to see everyone back uh, this afternoon and uh, come for our, I, I told the men coming in the door, this is our round number three. And so we honor the Lord for everything that he has done and everything that he is doing in Jesus name. And we just were worshiping the Lord by saying your name is a strong and mighty tower and the righteous can run in it and be safe. And there's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved except for the name of Jesus. And we honor the Lord for that. Once again, can we take our Bible and let's hold it up and make this declaration after me? Say, this is my Bible, though there are many in the world. This one is mine. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder. Of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God. My life will be better. Because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's make our lives better. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. Last session that we were together we talked about. Uh, relationships, especially with friends. And we talked about friendship forging the very networks of our life. And there, our wife should be our most intimate friends, but then we need brothers and there are friends that stick closer than a brother. And now we come to this session. And again, I want to reinforce the thought that we've been working on that, that the Christian journey is fundamentally a shared journey with other believers. And the Christian journey is a shared journey with other believers uh, in Christian community. And the word community just simply means common unity, community. And I believe in the community of the believers. And it's important that we are connected. And yet we live in a nation that, that really emphasizes individualism, emphasizes isolation, emphasizes uh, privatization. Uh, we live in a nation that really uh, values isolation and insulation to a degree. In fact, all of that can be summed up in the old figure of speech. A man's home is his castle. And when you think about a castle, that is not a very inviting place. In fact, most castles have a wall around it. They have a moat around it. They have a little uh, slots that you can shoot at, uh, at people that you don't want coming near your castle and take them out a far way off. Most castles even have a drawbridge that comes up to let people stay in and uh, keep people out. And so uh, in the nation that we live in, the culture really values individualism. In fact, four of the pillars that this nation was built upon And the culture that we live in was rugged individualism, manifest destiny, free enterprise and self-determination. So there's a a big value in our culture about the individual and about self. And yet when you come into our kingdom, it's about others. God says, I want you to love me and I want you to love one another. Pastor John just now ministered about coming into these last days. And it's interesting that Hebrews 10, 24 gives us another indication that we are coming into the last days. 
Because as the author in Hebrews chapter 10 begins to give some exhortation to the church, these Hebraic Christians that have now come into the faith, he says, and let us consider one another in order to stir one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Uh, the New Living Translation says of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another and to, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The text kind of indicates that as we come into the last days, there's going to be an attitude that I don't want to assemble myself together with other believers. There seems to be an attitude that people in our country say that they love Jesus. They just don't love his people. They need Jesus, but they don't need his people. And yet the writer still stands very clear in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 that we cannot neglect assembling ourselves together to provoke one another to love and good works and to encourage one another, especially as we see the day approaching. Pastor John has already said, as we come into the last days, I mean, the world doesn't want you. The devil wants to kill you. All we're going to have is God and one another. And as we come into the last days, our fellowship with one another is critical. Now, as we listen at that text, it talks about let us love one another so that we can provoke one another uh, together. And it says, and assembling ourselves together. So fellowship is important. Uh, the Amplified Version says of Hebrews 10, 24, it says, let us therefore consider to give, uh, to give uh, 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 attentive and continuous care in watching one another. It's saying staying or, or studying how we can stir and stimulate and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities. 25, the Amplified Version of the Bible says, not neglecting or forsaking to assemble together as believers, as the habit of some people, but admonishing, warning, urging, and encouraging one another. And all the more faithfully as we see the day approaching. The Message Bible says about those verses, Message Bible, it says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. The Message Bible says there's a big day approaching. And it says, and as we approach the big day, let's make sure that we spur one another on to love. Uh, there's an author, his name is J.I. Packard. He wrote a book called God's Word, Studies and Key Bible Themes. And he says, fellowship is seeking to share in, in, in what God has made known of himself to others as means of finding strength, refreshment and instruction for one's own soul. When you and I fellowship and we share what we know about God, 
One of the things that happens is in that exchange, we ourselves receive strength, refreshment, and instruction. Uh, the great revivalist uh, C.H. Spurgeon said, Christian fellowship. Spurgeon says, you know, you and I know that one of the sweetest things outside of heaven is to talk to one another. It says, and to exchange notes of our experiences. Spurgeon says, as nations are enriched by commerce, so are Christians enriched by communion. As we exchange commodities in trade, so do we exchange our different forms of knowledge while we speak to one another of things concerning the kingdom of God. Spurgeon says, man, fellowship is the sweetest thing this side of heaven. Friends, I want you to know that we need one another in Christian fellowship, koinonia, is one of the ways that we receive that stirring each other to love and to help and good works. And as the uh, new, as the message Bible says, we ought to invent ways to stir each other up to fellowship. Fellowship is important. Uh, the great black uh, evangelist of the 60s uh, and of the 70s, his name was Tom Skinner. And Tom Skinner, when he made comment on fellowship, he says, you know what fellowship is? And somebody said, koinonia. And he said, yeah, koinonia. He said, let me tell you how we say it in the urban areas. Fellowships is fellows in the same ship. We're all in the same boat. We're all going in the same direction. We all have the same captain. And we're all on the same cruise. We're all going that way. And fellowship is fellows in the same ship. Now, now why, why is fellowship so important for men? Well, well the, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, which is a, a critical piece for me. Uh, in Ephesians 4, 15, uh, 4, 16, he talks some about these gift ministries that Jesus has given to the church. But then when you get the 4, 16, here we find this word written. It says here, for the whole body is joined together and knit by what every joint supplies, Ephesians 4, 16, according to the effectual working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body unto the edifying of itself in love, Ephesians 4, 16. The New Living Bible, uh, Translation of the Bible says about men in fellowship, it says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. It says, as each does its part, uh, its own special work, and it helps the other parts grow. The other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You see, when you and I come together, we become agents of the Holy Spirit in one another's transformation. And transformation is a new, is, is a unique word for change. Uh, change means to alter or to do something different from the same or uh, do something different from the mundane change. Now, what I've discovered about being around Christians, Christians don't mind hearing preaching about change. They don't mind singing about change. They don't mind praying about change. They don't mind prophesying about change. They just don't want to change. Yeah. And transformation is a unique kind of change because transformation is change in such a way that you never can go back to where you were before. Transformation. Do you know that, 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 that the infant can never, once they become elderly, can never become an infant again? They've been transformed. Listen, listen, the, uh, the caterpillar, once it becomes a butterfly, can never become a caterpillar again. It's been transformed. 
The polywog, once it becomes a frog, can never become a polywog again because it's been transformed. Listen, the transformational process is uh, changed in such a way that you and I can never go back the way we were before. And that's what fellowship does. It reminds us not to go back to old habits, not to go back to old ways, not to go back to old agendas. And it's in the context of fellowship that you and I become agents of the Holy Spirit in helping the transformational process in one another's life. It's in fellowship that we become agents of the Holy Spirit. Every joint supplies that which God has uniquely given it with, that we become agents of the Holy Spirit in helping each other to surrender to the will of God. Because it's in fellowship that we give way to one another and remind one another what the will of God is. It's in fellowship that we become agents of the Holy Spirit in our loving service for one another. And friends, many times, As agents of the Holy Spirit, God wants to help us in the developmental process of one another's lives. And it's only in the context of Christian fellowship that you and I are really transformed. Basically in public worship, large fellowship services, it's a monologue where we worship God and we hear from God through the minister of God. But as we begin to really get in fellowship with one another, fellows in the same same ship, we eat together, we walk together, we travel together, we journey together, we share together, we exchange together. It's in that context of classes and small groups and fellowships and focus groups and uh, that, that you and I really through that exchange, we are called to transformation, surrender to God and loving service together with God. See, there's no better place to come the faith in Christ and our complete hope in Christ than in the context of Christian fellowship, which happens exclusively in his body. I was reading a book by uh, one of the Gallup poll uh, uh, statisticians, and the book was called uh, God is Alive and Well, and it's looking at religion in America, religion in America. And one of the statistics that's quoted in the book is that when they do polls on religion in America, and they ask, what are you? Uh, and, and then they let people list, are you Hindu? Are you Buddhist? Are you Muslim? Uh, are, you, uh, are you Christian? And then when people say what they are, and then they ask the question, or none of the above, and they ask, okay, if you're Christian, what are you? You know, are you Catholic? Are you Episcopal? Are you Lutheran? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Baptist? Are you Methodist? Are you non-denominational, Pentecostal, Charismatic, or none? The largest growing group in America that say that they are religious and identify who they identify with are the nuns. I have no religious affiliation. The nuns, N-O-N-E. Okay, okay. Yeah, that category called none. And he calls it the nuns. And the nuns, N-O-N-E, about... Uh, S, uh, those, that group are people that say, I love Jesus, but I have no religious affiliation. I was at a barber shop a few months ago, and I remember I asked the guy, well, where do you fellowship? He said, I don't believe in organized religion. I said, neither do I. I said, I believe in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then I looked at him, I said, but I also don't believe in disorganized religion either. Because a lot of people just believe that because you're organized, somehow God is not in it. And yet God is a God of order. 
I mean, when the earth was void and without form, Genesis chapter one, the Genesis principle tells us and answers are in Genesis tells us that God goes to work to put everything in order. And a lot of people just happen to think that if you have order, it's not God. And yet when we first see the spirit of God moving upon the face of chaos, he's stepping into chaos to put things in order. God is in the order. And if you want to get God's best, you have to organize the rest. You have to organize things that are disordered. God is not the author of confusion, but he's not afraid of confusion. When God sees confusion, he goes to work to bring order. And there's a group out there that has no religious affiliation, no place of identifiable uh, uh, fellowship. And friends, you and I cannot grow in this context of our kingdom by ourselves. We not only need friends, friends that are close and that we draw in, but we need each other. And it's in the context of assembling ourselves together that we're able to grow. Folks say, do you believe that you need to go to church? I said, not only do I need to, it's my responsibility to because what I need may be in you and what you need may be in me. And if I'm absentee, then you miss what I have to bring to you. And if you're absentee, I miss what you have to bring in me. We need each other. Friends, all of us have unique gifts, talents, insights, and abilities. And Ephesians 4, 16 says that the body is fitly joined together by that which every joint supplies. And it grows and it builds up itself in love. And in that growing love, it makes edification of itself in love. We need fellowship so that we can become agents of the Holy Spirit in one another's transformational process and one another's surrender And in one another's love, I have some friends in my life that just will not get out of my life. And even when I try to isolate and insulate it from them, they just don't go away. I have some friends in my life that I won't go out of their life. I remember one time a friend of mine got in trouble, started avoiding worship. And after two Sundays, I saw he wasn't there. And I said, this is just because he's gotten in a circumstance. And uh, got into a circumstance uh, where his name was put in the paper in a negative way. And he was just embarrassed. So I called him up, wouldn't answer his phone. I said, I know you're over there. I said, pick up the phone. Wouldn't pick up the phone. Went over there, rang the doorbell. I know you're in there. Open up the door. He wouldn't open up the door. So then I started hitting him with text messages. I said, I'm not going away. I'm not going to stop. If I could speed dial a text, I would have put it on speed dial and just had to kept sending it, man. And finally, finally, uh, when he showed up at the church, he said, man, these brothers at this church are relentless. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, it wasn't just you. He said, all these guys was knocking on the door and calling up on the phone. And he said, hit me with the text message and hit me with email. They just would not go away. You see, this may be a poor analogy, but I can't think of a better one. You and I, we need to be like roaches in somebody's house. Just don't go away, man. I couldn't think of a better one, so I just came up with that one. I thought most of us understand that, man. We're just tough to get rid of. Just just won't go away. And friends, and and we're going to be there. We're going to be a pest. We're going to be there crawling around. We're going to be there when the lights are on. We're going to be there when the lights are off. We just will not go away until you surrender and get back where God wants you to be. And all of us need some friends like that. Listen, in Christian fellowship, we begin to learn how to 
love and respect one another. And there's a little story that's told in Mark chapter two. And if you'll turn there, uh, I'll speak it in narrative form, but just so that you'll have it. Mark chapter two and verse number one through twelve. And and and, and um, in fellowship, you see, more is accomplished than we would have alone. And the only place where we can really remain steadfast until he returns with his people is with fellowship. Now, Mark chapter two, I'm going to speak this story in a narrative. There's a man that's a paralytic and four of his friends get together and they hear that Jesus has gone to a little house in Capernaum and they determine that they're going to take their friend to Capernaum and they're going to get their friends cured. They go up to Capernaum and when they get to Capernaum, he's carried by four men on, on verse number three. And when they get there, there were so many people around the house They cannot get in the house. When they find out that there's there, they will not be denied. Somebody say, I will not be denied. denied. They wanted to get their friend in front of Jesus. So they climb up on the roof. Think about these men. And they start tearing up the roof. Somehow this man that's sick, that's on a stretcher, they somehow, the four of them, get him up on the roof. He might have been shaking. He might have been invalid. But somehow four of them get him up without dropping him. You need to have some friends that won't drop you. And somehow they get the friend up on the roof. They tie some rope to that. They tear up the roof. And then they let their friend down in front of Jesus. When they let their friend down in front of Jesus, Jesus sees the faith that they have. And he tells the man, your sins are forgiven you. And later on, after some other dialogue, then Jesus commands the man to be rise up and to be healed. And the man is made whole. All of us need four friends who are willing to tear something up to get us back to Jesus. All of us need some friends that will not be denied, that will push something over, tear something up. And this paralytic man didn't carry himself to Jesus, but four friends brought him before Jesus for his healing or his cure. See, I've discovered in Christian fellowship and Christian fellowship alone is where we mutually learn how to strengthen one another and we encourage one another and we can even carry one another. We need each other. And friends, there needs to be somebody in your life, somebody or somebody's in your life who will not be denied. A few weeks ago, I had some time on my hand and I was sitting there and I said, what can I do? And I just was relaxed as I turned on TV, something I rarely do, start surfing through the channel. And I came through this one channel where, where the movie came on. I said, I know what this movie is. It was a Terminator. And, and, and it's at the scene where the Terminator comes up to the police station and he says, uh, is Sarah Connor here? And they said, Sarah Connor's not seeing anybody. And the Terminator looks at the place and he says, I'll be back. You need some friends like that in your life. You need some friends that no matter how much your friends look like they are caved in, locked in, they'll say, I'll be back. Look at your friend and tell them, I'll be back. Okay, you need some friends in your life that just will not be denied, that will tear something up, that they'll fight through the enemy, they'll fight through anything else to get to you. You need some friends like that in your life. And friends, when you and I have at least four friends that just won't go away, will not leave us in our condition, whether it's addiction, whether it's addiction to pornography, whether it's addiction to gambling, whether it's addiction to alcohol or drugs. 
Somebody won't leave us in our condition of a Gnosticism or atheism. Somebody will not leave us in, a, in our addiction of knowing it all. Because I have some friends, they just say, leave me alone. I know all of that. And I look at them and I say, it's what you learn after you know everything that really counts. <laughs> Somebody write that one down. Because that's what really matters is what you learn after you know everything that really counts. I just won't leave them alone. I keep on injecting something inside there because everything we know we've been taught, but we've not been taught everything. And friends, you and I need to understand that we need some four friends like these men and Mark. And they got a fellowship with their friend. They said, we're going to get you in front of Jesus no matter what. Christian fellowship is like that. Christian fellowship, as I understand it, friends, is twofold. First of all, it's fellowship with the Father and it's fellowship with one another. Look at me in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John, that's the epistle of John now. Uh, chapter 1, and then we're going to look at verse 3, and then we're going to look at verse 7. 3 and 7, 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, and then verse number 7, we find this word written. Watch this in 1 John 1, 3, New King James. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. For truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son. I believe that we ought to have fellowship with the father. And when Jesus in Matthew 22 was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I believe that there ought to be constant fellowship with the father. And this week at the church, we're going to talk about how many times in the church in America now, believers, they have fellowship with the father in a church service, but then that needs to carry on the fellowship with the father all week long. As we come in these last days, man, we need to have fellowship with the Father at home. We need to have fellowship with the Father at work. We need to have fellowship with the Father no matter where we work, whether in arts and entertainment, whether we work in business, whether we work in a congregational setting, whether we work uh, in direct media, we need to have fellowship with the Father, whether we work in education or in finance or in government, we need to have fellowship with the Father. And our fellowship with the Father is for us to receive wisdom. God needs to download wisdom to men because the world is waiting to hear our wisdom because the world does not know what to do. People walk around afraid. They walk around bewildered. When incidents happen, like just happened a few weeks ago at the, at, at the Boston Marathon, and then what's happened over the last couple of days in Boston, and it not only goes now just local, but now it goes national and now global, people are just really becoming very, very fearful of what's going to happen next. And we need the wisdom of God to give comfort. We need the wisdom of God to give encouragement. We need the wisdom of God. If the church is confused as everybody else, how can we be a help in the community? I remember when 9-11 happened and, uh, and uh, I left home and uh, the, the, the first plane had just hit the first tower. And as far as they knew then, the initial report was a, commerce, uh, a private uh, you know, aircraft had hit the towers. When I got to work, they said, I told them something's going on in New York. Somebody hit a tower. And I said, but it's all on the news. I said, turn it on. And about the time the TV got turned on when I got to the office at church, uh, the second plane had hit. When I came out of my office, uh, I was told, well, another plane is now hit, crashed into the Pentagon. Came out of my next appointment. They said, uh, they said that they've turned back all the jets that were coming into the country, turned them back to their own country, and every plane has been commanded to land at the nearest airport or to return to its original destination. 
And then they closed down all of the skyscrapers in my city. Closed them all down. The state office tower closed down. The VEC tower closed down. The Huntington Center closed down. And when all these people got out of work, all of a sudden my staff reported to me, Pastor, people are starting to come to the church building. It's only about 12 o'clock noon. They said, what should we do? I said, well, put a monitor on in in the hallway so the people that need to watch the news can know what's going on. I said, put some soft music on in the sanctuary and call for a time of prayer. One of my main intercessors at our church, she she leads or teaches on intercessory prayer in our church. She teaches several classes. She was one of the first ones to show up. And I said, we're just going to have a prayer meeting. Before we knew it, there's about 60 people there. And though people came and went all day long, I think it swelled as high as 100 or 90 to 100. But it never was less than 60 people because where do people go when they're in trouble? God's house represents a refuge. The very fact that we call our worship space, our largest worship space, a sanctuary means that this is a safe place. It conveys that as a place of peace, a place of safety. It's a refuge. And friends, if people show up to our churches and we're not there, it says to them, God is not important. And before you and I want to bring God into the schools, you and I ought to bring God in us to the church, through the Holy Spirit. Fellowship is important. Fellowship is important. And the Sunday after 9-11... I understand that that was the largest day of attendance in most churches throughout the history of our nation in our recent history. Large day. My question to pastors when I called them up, what are you preaching this Sunday? I said, because a lot of folks are going to show up with questions in their mind. Friends, I believe that is critical for us to help people understand the times and we can exhort and encourage one another in our times of fellowship. But that only comes out of our fellowship with the father. But first John one three does not stop there with fellowship with the father. First John one seven goes on to say, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship also with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. Listen, we not only need fellowship with our father through Jesus Christ. But we need fellowship with one another. We need to come into a common union, a bond, a communion with one another and fellowship. We benefit from one another's strengths and fellowship. We expose one another's weaknesses. I'll tell you what, when you and I get close to someone, we not only see their their beauty, but we also see their weaknesses and their flaws. Even if you uh, look at pictures of people. Today is kind of deceptive because they can airbrush stuff and alter stuff. I remember one time we did a staff picture for a Christmas card. And when we looked at it, we said, oh, we had two staff members that were not there. You know what they did? We did. We took another picture, took their head off of that one, put it on another space inside of the crowd. And uh, it looked like they were right there in the picture and they weren't even there. So 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 you can't even believe everything that you see. But I have actually received some um, actual pictures of people before. However, when I saw them in person, that ain't what they look like. Because the closer you get to folks, the more you can see the flaws in them. Not only naturally, but you could also see them in their character. And it's in Christian fellowship that we're able to help one another and correct one another in our flaws and we also able to see each other's strengths. You know, it's in Christian fellowship that I learned how to put away things like pride. 
Learn how to put away things like jealousy, envy, competitiveness, preoccupation with others. All of those kinds of things come out of relationship. You and I never want to be competitive with each other. Don't ever compare yourself with another man. The comparison game is a game that you'll never win. Paul said this. He said, listen, listen. He said, we're not those that compare ourselves with ourselves or compare ourselves among ourselves. He said, because those that do such things are not wise. You'll never win a comparison game with anybody because you're not them and they are not you. And you don't know what God has built into you. Listen, it's already been read, but I think it draws our attention back to it. Philippians chapter two, please. Philippians chapter two, verse three. Because it's in fellowship, I get a chance to stop thinking about myself and start thinking about somebody else. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3. And in 2-3 of Philippians, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than himself. Philippians 2-4 now says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for the interests of others. Watch us now uh, in Philippians two, three, the new living translation says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You see, when you and I become selfless rather than selfish, real fellowship begins And we have a chance to begin to share with others. And as we begin to share with others, we begin to then extend the loving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that he's extended to us in other people's lives. What do we get out of fellowship? One of the things I've received out of fellowship is I've learned how to love other people and sometimes even love in a greater extent their tradition. I remember one time being called to a particular church and uh, this year, and I taught a missions perspectives class and they asked me on unleashing the gospel. Well, I went out to Plain City in our city, uh, in a, outside of our city. Plain City is an Amish Mennonite community. And when I went out to the Amish Mennonite community, uh, they, we, we sang and when we entered into worship before the singing, we sang a cappello out of hymnals. Out of hymnals. I haven't been sung out of a hymnal in a long time. And uh, for, for 30 some years of our church, we've been putting our words up on, you know, up on the screens. Uh, Transparency's in now, multimedia screens now. And so, but I appreciated the passion that I heard. And we sang every stanza also of every song. And, and, and uh, when I was standing up preaching, uh, you know, I see some head nods here. I get an occasional amen. And was taught for an hour and a half. And then we took a 15 minute break and then another hour and a half. It was a three hour class. And at the break time, one of the friends, one of the men came up to me. He said, boy, we are really enjoying this. And, and, and it was quiet. And I said, really? I said, I was wondering if I really connected. He said, oh, yeah, I see people leaning forward in their seats. He said, now, we're not Baptist, brother. He said, we're German. And I said, okay. He said, and we're Mennonite. He said, we're quiet, but we're getting it. And what I found out is that people worship different ways. In the African-American tradition, there's what's called the call and the response. You say something, somebody says something back to you. So there's always that exchange. All right. 
All right, that was a good place for the exchange. Thanks, brothers, for helping me out. Okay. And yet I go other places. I go into Pentecostal circles, man, people are all over the walls. You know, they're, they're running, they're jumping, they're shouting, they're quaking. When I go to the Dominican Republic, you know, when the Holy Ghost falls, everybody starts doing this kind of stuff. And they're doing this. And, and I said, whoo, the Holy Ghost is here. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Holy Ghost is here. And, and I go places, other places, and everybody, when, when the Holy Ghost comes, everybody starts shouting. I mean, they just start running and shouting, you know, and they're out there, they, they're dancing. Woo, woo. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. And what I found is in fellowship, there's different expressions, different expressions. And when I go among my Lutheran brethren, they're very quiet. I went among the Reformed brethren, the Presbyterians, they're very quiet, you know, uh, very scripted in the, in the services. And, and what I found out when I get in fellowship, there's something all of us can learn from us. I remember I invited one of my Reformed brothers to preach a seminar at our church on leadership and he came and he said, I like this church. Your people talk in church. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, when he went back to his church the next Sunday, he called me up. He said, I tried to get an amen. He said, I don't think I could have paid somebody to say amen in my church. He said, he said, cause he kept saying, well, if I was at Raymond, they would put an amen right there. <laughs> well, they didn't respond at the Presbyterian church, but I, I told him I honor your tradition. And what I found out in fellowship, we may have some different expressions in worship. We may have some different styles of building. We may draw different kind of people, but we worship the same Lord. We worship the same Savior, Jesus Christ. We are filled with the same Holy Spirit. The bread that we break is not the bread of the Lord, whether it's leaven, a whole loaf, common cup, you know, grape juice, wine, whatever you want to put in the cup is it not the cup of the Lord. Doesn't everybody lift it and bless it and pass it. And what I find out is that we do have a lot of commonalities. And friends, I've learned that in my fellowship with the father, then I also have to love who the father loves and who the father loves is everybody. I found out that God even loves sinners. God so loved the world. He so loved the world. So I found out I couldn't even just tolerate sinners. I had to learn how to love sinners. Because <clears throat> God so loved the world. So I couldn't just tolerate them. I had to learn how to love them. And there's some time in fellowship where I said, I don't, I, I told one of my brothers in fellowship one time, I said, I said, I said, I have some real problems with that brother. I said, he, he makes it difficult to love. He said, ask God to teach you how to love him. Cause God loves him. I said, man, I didn't need to hear all that, man. Come on, come on. And he said, just ask him. So I asked God to show, teach me how to love this brother because he was making it very difficult for me to love him. Uh, and the Lord began to show me, he said, now this is the way you do this brother, you know, some, some brothers, you got to love from a distance. Okay. You bunch of cowards in here this morning. <laughs> you don't have as much frequency of being together. You're not as close as maybe you or they would want you to be. But if they have a need in their life, you're always seeking their highest good all the time. And I found out that some folks that are most difficult to love will need you one day. And friends, just being available was a way that I expressed love to that brother. And friends, God can show you how to love even difficult folk. Some of y'all have folk in your family that are difficult to love. 
And God will show you how to do that when you have fellowship with the Father and with one another. Now watch this. I'm talking about this love piece. I'm not, not, not lost my place. Look at me in John 15. John, Pastor John quoted, uh, Pastor John quoted John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. And uh, later on in that same chapter, it's kind of interesting how the Holy Spirit weaves our words together. In John chapter 15 and verse number 13, we're on the same page here. It says this, watch this, greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friend. Greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for the friend. See, when you're connected in the vine, there's some of the fruit that comes through that connection ought to rub off on us. And greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. Verse number 14, 15, 14, and you are my friends if you do whatever I command. The proof of loving God is obedience. The proof of love is obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. And he says, and you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, no longer do I call you servants because a servant does not know. What his master is doing. But now I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from the father. I have made known to you. A friend is someone that you just reveal. What's in your hearts. The word was used at our table. Transparency. You become transparent with folks. Where they can look into your life. And see what's really going on. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, says verse 16 of chapter 15, to bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And that whatever you ask the Father in my name, these things I will give you. And it says, and these things I command that you love one another. See, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ is that we would uh, share in a mutual love for one another and love men. Let's get it straight is that you and I are always seeking one another's good all the time. You see, in the Christian community, believers learn how to lay down their lives for one another. We lay down our lives in terms of time. We lay down our lives in terms of resource. We lay down our lives in terms of sharing with one another. And look at what Christ did for us. God could have saved us without sending Jesus, but he chose to come and share and fellowship with our suffering. God could have saved us by sending an angel. He could have saved us with a word that came out of his mouth. But instead, God decided to come down and wrap himself up in the mess that we were already in. For the earth itself had been cursed. It had a penalty upon it. And he wrapped himself up in an earth suit and came and dwelt among us. He he was put in a family that did not understand him or comprehend him. He dwelt among a people that did not understand him or comprehend him. He not only did that, but he was arguing and had to endure the contradictions of men. And yet he stayed on course to redeem us in the mess. He came and he connected us in our mess. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up because he knew he couldn't. He knew that we didn't have the strength. We were out strength to save ourselves. We were without, uh, without, without the power to save ourselves. And so he came to do for us what we could not do. He came and got in the mess and he provided a way out of the mess for us. Three and a half years. Jesus could have saved us by himself. But you know what he did? And this is my model. He took 12 men and said, join me in fellowship. And for three and a half years, he went with those men. And he ate with them and slept with them for three and a half years. Probably were imagined, probably they were together about 60 to 80 hours uh, a week during the course of a week. 
Most folks only work 40 hours a week, but 60 to 80 hours they're walking, they're talking, they're working. Early in the morning, late into the night, there's a book called Outliers by, uh, by, by, uh, by Gladwell. And one of the things he talks about, if you spend 50,000 hours in doing anything, you become an expert in that thing. 50,000 hours doing anything, you will become five years, 10,000 hours a year, you become an expert in that particular thing. Jesus spent 80 hours uh, for three and a half years with these men, they over spent over 80,000 hours together. Listen to me, friends. If Jesus did that for the people that he did, and it takes 50,000 hours doing anything to become an expert, and he spent 80,000 hours with them approximately, that's why they weren't just experts, they were world changers. He poured his life in Christian fellowship into them. They got a chance to learn the way that he thought, the way that he acted. They had a chance to ask questions. And when he died and he rose and he ascended on high, those men went out to change the world. And then the last one that is alive, John says, listen, our fellowship is with the Father through Jesus Christ. But listen, our fellowship is with one another. And when John talks about the new commandment he gives unto us, he says, beloved, this is a commandment I give unto you that we should love one another. Always be seeking one another's highest good in Christian fellowship, moving together so that we can, be, so that we can accomplish the common goal. I have four words that will become a takeaway for you today. And the four words, the enter into fellowship are real simple. First of all, the enter into fellowship, you and I, we need to come. Four words, come. If nobody reaches, nobody really gets touched. And you and I, we need to learn how to just come. Come to fellowship. Come to the both corporate fellowship and come to small group fellowships. Because it's in the context of fellowship, both corporately and in small groups and in classes and in home gatherings that you and I grow. First of all, come. If you and I are absentee, something's going to be missing that we can bring to the table. Friends, come. Now I come, but the second word is simply this. Stay. 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 Make a commitment to the fellowship. I've only had two churches in my life. I'm 62 years old. I had Union Grove Baptist Church where I was dedicated as a baby and released from the start Rayma Christian Center when I was uh, 32 years old. 62 now, our church about 30 years old now. I've been at Rayma Christian Center 32 years. That's been the church that I'm a part of now. Two churches. Well, I, when I believe in coming and staying, that's what I'm talking about. I've had, uh, we were talking to Pastor John uh, last night. As he and uh, Nita and Teresa and I had dinner, and uh, I talked about we only had two houses in our life. I said we had a house that we lived in for 27 years, raised all of our kids, sent them to college. When they came home from college, and I said, then we built another house, and I said, we're there. I told my wife, I said, when Jesus comes, he's going to find me right here. Okay. And so, so not only should we come, but we should stay. Look at your neighbor and say, come. come. Now tell him, stay. stay. Now, now that becomes important because you can't build anything on something that's not permanent. And, you know, there's a lot of folks that they come to church, but then they just say, I'm here for a season. Any seasonal people here? I think that's a new Christian word. I'm here for a season. Okay. No, I tell folks, come and stay. And what I do in our city, and I'm an advocate, now it's kind of caught on in our church. When we find folks and I say, where do you worship? And if they can't tell me where they worship, I say, you need to come to Rayma Christian Center. And then I tell them this, we will do you good on your journey. And once I see them there, I say, come, stay. We will do you good on your journey. Now look at the man next to you and say, come. Come. 
Tell them, stay. Tell them, we will do you good on your journey. Look at them, the man next to you on the other side. Say, come. Tell him, stay. We will do you good on your journey. Look at a man at another table and tell him, come. Stay. We will do you good on your journey. Yell at somebody across the room that you know really needs it and tell them, come. Stay. We will do you good on your journey. And so the first two words are come and stay. And friends, if the largest group in America that's identifying themselves as religion are the nuns, I have none, 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 no religious affiliate. Then we all start telling people to come. Tom Rainer, the great Southern Baptist statistician who writes several books on winning the unchurched. Tom Rainer says that 85% of the people that cross the bridge from the world to the church come because somebody invited them. 85% come because somebody invited them. Now, George Barnett, he does statistics too, but he, he, is, he does statistics on everybody. Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, atheists, agnostics, everybody. He interviews everybody. Tom Rayner, he interviews folks that have actually come from the world to the church. I want to hear about those folks. I want to I see how they think, how people that are actually coming from the world into church thinks. And 85% of the people that he interviews have come from the world. Hedonism. Enter the church, whether false religion or no religion. Say they came because somebody invited you. Inviting people to church is the cheapest marketing tool that we have. It's the least expensive thing that we do. It's the most expensive thing that we don't do. You say, well, why the church? Because in the church, the corporate anointing is there. The Holy Spirit manifests in ways in a different way in the corporate gathering than he does with you alone. And so I invite people to come and stay. Now, why do we do that? Because I think that those are two words that everybody understands. Come and be permanent. At the end of the movie, E.T. When the spaceship is now landed. And E.T. is getting ready to walk up the plant. Walk up the plank. And, he's getting, and he has a little plant in his arm. And he looks at the little boy and he says, come. And the little boy says, Stay. And E.T. says, ouch. (laughs) Friends, there are two words in the English language that about everybody understands. Come. Stay. That's where fellowship begins. Now, the next word of my four is fellowship. Come. Stay. Fellowship. Fellowship means now, now we get a chance to exchange. I want to know what's in you. You need to know what's in me. I want to know your journey. You need to hear my journey. I want to know your story. You need to hear my story. I want to find out your gifts. You need to experience my gift. And it's in fellowship that we get a chance to hear about one another's journey. We get a chance to hear each other's stories. We get a chance to feel and experience one another's gifts. We have a chance to exchange resource with each other. Fellowship. Say the three words with me. Come. Come. Stay. Stay. Fellowship. Here's your last takeaway. Say, enjoy. Enjoy. Now, listen, when you start connecting with God's people, you will find some of the most interesting people that you will meet in your life. 
Some of God's people are some of the funniest people. You can put them in Vegas. You can put them in any comedy club in the world. And they can make a million dollars because God's people are some of the funniest people in the world. But God also has some of the wisest people in the world. There's a lot of wisdom among God's people. Don't let anybody make you think that God's people are dumb, ignorant, don't know anything. Don't ever misjudge God's people because in God's kingdom, there are judges and there are attorneys and there's professionals as well as blue collar workers like mason workers and, and steel workers and truck drivers. Man, we are we run the gamut. We have restaurant workers that serve tables as well as professional chefs and cooks. And friends, we run the gamuts. We are in arts and entertainment. We are in business. We are in the congregation. We are in education. We are in direct media friends we are in uh, government we are in arts uh, we are we are in finance and in family systems we are all over the place and we get a chance to enjoy the resource that's among us it's interesting that Jesus when he chose his team did not choose one apostle prophet evangelist pastor or teacher didn't choose one priest or high priest you know who he chose regular guys Regular guys like you and I who were working people and he invited them come, stay, fellowship and enjoy. Here's what I need. Everybody stand up. You're going to find five men to give them your takeaways now because we need that. We need that. I want you to find five men. Uh, let's start with one so we can practice. Just find one brother. First of all, find somebody, look him in the eye and say, come, stay. Fellowship. Enjoy. Switch. Find somebody else. Fellowship and enjoy. All right, good. Switch. Find somebody else. All right, come. Stay. Fellowship and enjoy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Come. Stay. Fellowship. And enjoy. That's right. All right. Good. Yes, sir. All right. Come. Stay. Fellowship and enjoy. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, man. Come. Stay. Fellowship and enjoy. Yes, sir. And enjoy. That's right, Ray. All right. Hey, man, come. Stay. Fellowship and enjoy. Yes, sir. Come. Stay. Fellowship and enjoy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Everybody remain standing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Come. Stay. Fellowship and enjoy. And enjoy. Yes, sir. And I do. All right, sir. Thank you. Come, stay, fellowship, and enjoy. Yes, sir. All right. We need each other. We need friends, and we need fellowship. And friends, we need to come. We need to stay. We need to fellowship, and we need to enjoy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let me pray. Father, we've heard about friends. We've heard about how to lead during these perilous times in these last days.
We've heard the importance of fellowship. That as we see the big day approaching, that we should all the more invent ways to excite one another to love and good works and not forsake to assemble ourselves together. Father, today we make a commitment to come and to stay and to fellowship and to enjoy. I need what's in my brothers, but I also know that my brothers need what's in me. I refuse to rob my brother by not showing up and not giving him what I have inside of me. We need our brother's voice. We need his wisdom. We need his journey. We need his story. We need his strength. And Father, we need some brothers like that Ford that bore that paralytic man that will not be denied. They'll do everything within their power to get us before Jesus. And Father, there are some brothers here today that have been walking alone. My prayer today is that every man might leave this place knowing you don't have to do this journey by yourself. Oh, we need each other, especially as we see the day approaching. So we thank you for this time. Thank you that we'll live better as a brotherhood than we could ever live alone because it's not good for a man to be alone. As we see ourselves coming into the last days, help us to lead by example. Not just by word. Let us not send folks to church. Let us carry them to church. Let us carry them to the personal corporate gathering and to our small group gatherings. And we'll be the better for it. Now, Father, we thank you for the grace of God. For the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May that rest upon all of us this day and forevermore. We honor you for that now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Now let's give the Lord a big praise. Hallelujah.